So I thought I knew this story. <laughs> uh, I had read it many times and uh, I thought it's about a woman who seeks out Jesus to be healed. He heals her, he gets yelled at, he yells back, that's the story. So I was prepared to talk about how this woman had pursued her own liberation. And I wanted to say, let's use her as an example and pursue our own liberation too. I knew the story. So I was imagining the woman like, okay, she's totally bent over. So how is she gonna muscle her way toward the front of the line? How many times had she approached Jesus? So, you know, I went back and I, I was looking for where does it give me some clue? Because it doesn't say much, but you know, where does it give me some clue? Uh, well, it turns out I didn't know the story. I'd had a preconceived idea of what the story was. I had not been letting this story tell itself to me. I went into reading the story. I was reading it and rereading it, but I, because I already thought I knew how the story turned out, how it went, I wasn't actually reading the story until I slowed down and looked for where does it say something about how she pursued Jesus, and it didn't. But I also discovered something that I really liked and I really uh, want to talk to you about. And that is that the words uh, that are used in the translation that I used here are that she was crippled by an infirmity. And that is a very good translation. There's nothing wrong with it translation. But there's a more literal meaning that to me is more meaningful. It opens up a lot more for me. And it's that she was a woman with a spirit of no strength. She had a spirit of a thenis, no strength. So maybe she, that meant she was crippled. I mean, certainly that word means like an infirmity. But uh, the way I read the passage and the way I look at what Jesus talks about binding, all the words have to do with being bound or unbound. And it says she had a spirit of no strength. She was bent over. I think the woman was just down. I think she was just literally down. And it's no wonder. It's no wonder. It's a hard world to live in sometimes, many times, most of the time. I mean, she had family issues, one can assume relationship issues, one can assume personal challenges. And then there's the world. There's the world we live in. I mean, Salman Rushdie nearly fatally attacked. These Supreme Court decisions restricting how much the government is going to be able to regulate pollutants, that'll bring you down. The Supreme Court decision on uh, gun right, gun restrictions, doing away with most gun restrictions, that'll bring you down. And of course, the infamous Dobbs decision overturning Roe, that'll bring you down. There's plenty, plenty to give us a spirit of no strength. And this poor, dark-skinned woman living in Palestine gathered up just enough strength to have gotten herself out of her modest little home that Sabbath morning to shuffle in 
head down, just to be with people and to be with God. So even in a spirit of no strength, there's some remnant of strength there. And what's the turning point in the story? The line that I looked for where she reached out to Jesus said, when Jesus saw her, he called her over to him and said to her, woman, you are set free from your no strength. She was noticed. She was seen. She was worthy of attention. Her black life mattered to Jesus. He declared that she was not doomed to this spirit forever. She was down, but she was not down for the count. She was bent over, but she was going to rise again. And you know, there's something that does not happen in this little scene. He does not ask her if she's worthy. He presumably knows she's Jewish. She's in a synagogue, but he doesn't say, uh, you're not one of those Pharisees, are you? He doesn't ask for citizenship papers, pregnancy tests. And he doesn't say, why didn't you take better care of yourself? Or this wouldn't have happened to you. No, 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 no. Just like that. By his loving attention, something human and good and warm and joyful makes the place where there is a spirit of no strength gives rise to some strength in her. Just like that. You know, in the 1950s, uh, Martin Luther King took a flight from New York to London and then London to New York. And back in those days, it was a nine-hour flight to London from New York and a 12-hour flight back to New York. So King asked the pilot, what's with this extra three hours we got to sit in this plane? And the pilot explained, you got to understand about the winds. When we leave New York, we've got a strong tailwind in our favor. But when we go toward New York, we've got a strong headwind against us. But don't you worry, because we've got four engines that are capable of battling that wind. So King says, you know, it's like that with every movement in life. He said, we should not permit the adverse wind to overwhelm us as we journey across life's mighty political Atlantic. We must be sustained by our engines of courage in spite of the winds, this refusal to be stopped. And I'm going to add that one of those engines, because there's multiple engines, because there's a whole community of middle church, some of us are going to sometimes, maybe a lot of the time, have that spirit of no strength. But we're in it together, and we battle the winds together, and we enjoy when the wind is at our back together. And it can the winds can shift just like that. Just like that, Salman Rushdie, reports say, is alert and awake, and he's got a long road to hoe, but uh, he's apparently cracking some jokes. Just like that, there's a bipartisan group of legislators in Washington that are uh, make, have made legislation that hopefully will pass about how the electoral college vote is done so we don't invite another January 6th. And just like that, the wind at our back, Kansas, 
votes to protect the right of women to have the choice about what to do with their bodies. But the leader of the synagogue, this religious enabler of oppression in the guise of a holy man, he gets indignant at all this. And the word in the Greek is aga nocteo. And you might hear the word agony in there. Indignant is the best translation, but it's related to the word agony. You know, give me a break. He's in agony. He's the aggrieved one. He makes speeches about how this Jesus character is healing this woman. He makes speeches because he has the right to stop this woman from going to the clinic to protect her reproductive rights. He has cause to claim that these Black Lives Matter protesters are ruining the peace. I do not think so. And Jesus didn't think so. You know, we talked last week in Bible in the Middle about does Jesus, you know, clearly Jesus gets angry, but how much does he get angry and does he go on rants? And I think if you go through and look at the gospel accounts, you're going to notice what makes Jesus angry consistently. And boy, oh boy, it pissed Jesus off when this religious official cared more about abstract ideas of holiness than the wholeness of this woman before him, when he cared more about his idea of how to legislate morality than how to affirm this woman as a child of God, when this so-called religious leader was more interested in controlling when and where this woman can have her health care needs met instead of seeing the no strength in this woman and releasing her from her chains. Boy, oh boy, does that bring out the mama bear energy in Jesus. And it does in the rest of us, and it should in all of us. Hands off, Jesus says, more or less. Hands off people's bodily autonomy. Hands off people's reproductive decisions. Hands off how people express their gender. Hands off our ballot boxes. Hands off our country's classified documents, which do not preserve well in tropical environments. Thank you very much. Jesus brings a fierce love, to coin a phrase, a love that makes him rail against those who are oppressing the oppressed. I think if you look at what gets Jesus riled up, it's when you have some little bit of power and you use it to keep people in chains instead of releasing them from their chains. And then Jesus calls it because they think nothing of untying their ox on the Sabbath so it can get watered. But this woman, bound by a spirit of no strength, she, they want her to remain bound. It's not the right time for you. It's not the right state for you. It's not the right gender for you to demand that their religious ideas matter more than her right to her body. Uh-uh, uh-uh. He ain't having none of that. What we know about this woman is that she came with a spirit of no strength and she left strong and upright and full. What we don't know is when the story is gonna shift in our lives. We don't know when we're gonna be hitting the, if you go to London and New York, you can predict. On your way to London, you have the wind at the, your back. On your way to New York, you're heading, you're heading into the wind. But in life, we don't know when the winds are gonna shift. We don't know. This woman showed up. She didn't know her, just like I didn't know her story. She didn't know her story either. She went to that synagogue not knowing 
that she was going to leave completely transformed. And we never know when the winds are going to shift for us. We cannot know. We do not know. And this is how we walk the life of faith. We continue to struggle for the rights of all the, the oppressed and imprisoned and ill and lonely. And it can bring about a spirit of no strength, but we never know when the winds are gonna shift and who will unbind us and how we will become unbound. And this word that's, that's used for unbound is a word that's used in the New Testament to mean forgiveness as well. When we forgive others, we just let the chains drop. When we forgive ourselves, we just let the chains drop. So we keep showing up even when we have a spirit of no strength, because even with this spirit of no strength, she had enough strength to come to where there a wind. She thought there might be a wind at her back. And there it was that day. And just like that, she was strong and free.